evidence and answers. The early part of the year 2020 has been one that no one will forget. From the COVID-19 virus pandemic to the economic upheaval to the protests, riots, and social unrest. Is there really an answer to all of this? We need God more than ever. You're tuned to Evidence and Answers with your host, Pat Zucran. Pat is an author, teacher, and international speaker in the area of Christian apologetics, the defense of the Christian faith. Today, our host, Pat Zucran, will share a message of hope entitled, Racism, Riots, and Reconciliation. Now, here's part one. Well, good morning. This is a topic that I really didn't want to talk about. Uh, I had another topic planned to be preaching on, but because of the interaction that I've been getting from people on campus and in the workplace, and I'm sure you as well, and in our fellowship groups, I felt led that this is an issue we need to tackle head on. Racism, riots, and reconciliation. So as we begin, let's uh, open in prayer together. Lord, this is a topic that is stirring the hearts of many people across the country. May we address this head on with your truth, knowing that you have the answers for the deepest struggles that we faced as individuals, as a uh, society and as a nation. Lord, we pray that we would find the answer today in your word. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, we've all been shaken by what we're seeing going across uh, our country today. Throughout many cities, we see angry protests and riots erupting against racism and discrimination. And events of today reveal to us that racism remains a serious and volatile issue, not only in our nation, but in countries all over the world. And you know, this is not a recent or a modern problem. It has plagued mankind for thousands of years. Throughout history, mankind has discriminated and mistreated one another because of skin color or class, age, culture, or other differences. Although we have fought racism for centuries, it still remains an issue we have not resolved. And events of this past week show us we cannot resolve it by human effort alone. Overcoming racism will take more than just protests or legislation being passed because the problem is much deeper than that. Well, how can we overcome the evil of something like racism? Well, the first step in overcoming racism is to identify the cause, just like those of us who play golf. I mean, if you're slicing the ball way out of bounds, you look for the cause, all right? And the problem of racism is not new. It goes back to the very beginning, and I mean the very beginning. So let's get to the roots of racism. Now, the root of racism goes all the way back to the book of Genesis, to the very beginning. It says in chapter two, verse 25, when we're talking about the creation of man, in the beginning, God created Adam and Eve. And the Bible says in verse 25, they were both naked and were not ashamed. In other words, they were in a relationship filled with full trust and full vulnerability. There was no fear of evil or exploitation from one or the other. And Adam and Eve enjoyed a perfect relationship with one another, but most of all, with God. But in Genesis 3, the perfect relationship was shattered when they chose to disobey God 
and eat from the forbidden tree, the, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And the Bible says their eyes were opened and they knew that they were naked and they made fig leaves to cover themselves. The results of disobeying God and eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, the results were anticlimactic. Their eyes, or it's another way of saying their understanding, were opened. But the promise of divine enlightenment did not come. What was right before was now very wrong. They knew more, but that additional knowledge was twisted and evil. They saw more. But what they saw was distorted and a skewed view of reality. Mistrust and alienation now replace the security and intimacy that they had enjoyed. And in their fear, they attempted to cover and hide themselves from one another with leaves. So their perfect relationship with one another had been shattered. Then they tried to hide from God because their perfect relationship with God now had been broken. Sin entered into creation. It created mistrust and severely damaged the two most intimate relationships any person will ever experience. The relationship between God and man and between husband and wife. And now we see the effects of sin. And our fallen nature separates us from God and divides us from one another. And this alienation that occurred in Genesis 3 has spread throughout all creation and extended now in all relationships. And what you see going on this week is a result of sin entering into the world and sin making its way throughout and permeating all creation and into the hearts of every man and woman. So the root cause of racism is sin and our rebellion against God. And the sin nature is still at work in each of us and continues to lead us to distrust and division. Jesus described the condition of the human heart in Mark 7. He said, from within, out of the heart of man come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within and they defile a person. Paul describes in Galatians chapter 5 verses 19 through 21 how the sin nature manifests itself. It says, now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. That's why there's a natural inclination in us to raise ourselves up and exploit others for our use. We are now inclined naturally to pride and self-centeredness. And we have a skewed view of reality, which leads to a perverted view of others. And instead of seeing others as valuable, being made in the image of God, people who should be loved, we look at them as items to be used or foes that somehow must be defeated. So understand that the cause is not skin color, it's sin nature. It is not about race, it's about rebellion, rebellion against God. And sin like racism is deep-rooted in our nature, and it's not going to be healed through protests and riots and the changing of laws or changing our economic conditions. Those may bring temporary change, 
but it's not a lasting solution. If you pull weeds by the stem without pulling the roots, it'll quickly grow up and haunt us once again. We overcome sin when we first get right with God, who then through His Holy Spirit transforms our nature and gives us the ability then to overcome sin. You know, racism remains despite the greatest efforts of men. In our country, nearly 160 years ago, we fought the Civil War to end racism in our country. It cost the most American lives in any war that we have entered into. Over two million lives of courageous men and women were lost in the battle against racism. And despite uh, the efforts of these great men and women, the tremendous, the Gettysburg Address that was immortal speech given by our President Abe Lincoln, racism is still being fought today. Then, about a hundred years later, Martin Luther King led great rallies in this nation for the equality of all men. And we remember his immortal speech that I have a dream. And as wonderful as all those rallies were, and as powerful as his speech was, we're still in a battle against racism today. And the anger and the frustration resulting in violence and riots show us that we cannot overcome the giant of racism through human effort alone. We need a power greater than ourselves to overcome the evil of sin. And so the events of this past week show us just how much and how desperately we need God. And so our life application is this. Racism is a sin problem, not a skin problem. It's a sin problem. And we overcome sin when we first get right with God. We allow God then to transform us and we become like Him. When God transforms you and I, there's a transformation that only He can do in the mind and in the heart that allows us to love others, even those outside our own comfort zone. When we come to faith in Christ, we see people as Christ sees them, valuable, made in the image of God, who need to experience the love of Christ. When we get right with God, things change. And we get right with God when we confess our sin and seek His forgiveness, which comes through the sacrifice of His Son, Jesus Christ. And by believing and trusting in Christ, we are forgiven of our sin, and we can have a right standing and right relationship with God. That's where it all begins. We know how relationships can influence us. That's why, you know, as parents, we're always telling uh, our children, be careful of who you make your friends. They have a tremendous influence on you. And relationships can influence us, but a relationship with God will transform us. So the root cause of racism is our sin nature. And it requires a transformation of heart and mind, which comes when people get right with God. So overcoming racism begins with getting right with God. Second, we need to remember our model, Jesus Christ. He is the model of reconciliation. He is the perfect example. You know, throughout his ministry, we see how Jesus loved all people and was constantly breaking 
cultural and racial barriers throughout his ministry. We know the history of the Jews and Samaritans. Now, these two races were in a feud that lasted for centuries. Well, who are the Samaritans? Well, they're Mesopotamian people, people from the Middle East who are imported in the 8th century. Assyria conquered the northern tribes of Israel, conquered northern Israel in 722 BC, and they deported the northern Israelites to the lands of Assyria, and many others escaped and came south to Judah. Well, to fill those lands, the Assyrians brought in these Mesopotamian people, and they intermixed with the Jewish people. And that's how we got the Samaritans. And the Jews considered the Samaritans to be uh, racial half-breeds. And the two groups were in serious feuds with one another, which lasted for centuries. They disputed over which group followed the law of God better, and on whose land the proper worship should occur. The Jews worshipped at Jerusalem, but the Samaritans had their own holy mountain upon which they worshipped, Mount Gerizim. And there was big debate where the holy mountain of God was. And the Jews publicly cursed Samaritans in their synagogues. They would not allow Samaritan testimony in Jewish courts. And generally they considered the Samaritans excluded from eternal life. And the hatred ran so deep that Jews coming from Galilee, way up north in northern Israel, you have to walk through Samaria before you get to southern Israel or Jerusalem for the annual sacrifices. But instead of walking through Samaria, they would spend a few extra days going east across the Jordan, going around Samaria, you see on your map there, going around Samaria and then coming into the land of Judah. Well, we see in John chapter 4 that Jesus had just finished his time in Jerusalem and he was heading back north, home to Galilee. And instead of going east across the Jordan and around Samaria, the text says here in John chapter 4, Jesus left Judea and departed again for Galilee. And he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, so Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. Notice the text there. It said Jesus had to pass through Samaria. Now, did he physically, was he unable to go around? No, he had to pass through it. Why? Because he knew those people needed the Lord, and he knew there was an encounter there a dialogue that he had to have. Now it says it was the sixth hour, all right? And according to the Jewish time clock, the day begins at sunrise, about 6 a.m. So it's 12 noon, it's in the heat of day. He was sitting at a well and a Samaritan woman came to the well. Now she's coming in the middle of the day when it's hottest. Why? Because no one's there, all right? She doesn't want to run into anyone. Obviously, as we discover in this story, this was a sinful, adulterous woman. She already had five husbands, all right? So the town knew about her, all right? It's kind of like Hawaii. It's a small place. Everybody knew about her. They despised her. And she came to the well to draw water. As she went to draw water, Jesus looked over at her and said, would you give me a drink? And this absolutely stuns the woman. And she says, why would you, a Jew, talk to me, a Samaritan? Hey, remember, Jews and Samaritans hated each other. Not only that, she is a woman. So Jewish man, a teacher, rather, a rabbi, 
talking to a Samaritan and a Samaritan woman. And on top of that, a sinful woman, okay, a woman who had a reputation. And they have this dialogue, and she's one of the first people Jesus reveals his true identity to. All right, And he reveals to her that he is the Son of God, the Savior of the world, the Messiah of Israel. And so the woman in her excitement goes and tells the rest of the town. And they come and they meet Jesus. And the text says there in verse 39 through 43, it says, Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. And then it says, After two days, he departed back home for Galilee. He spent two days in Samaria, eating with them, fellowshipping with them, talking with them, breaking down those racial barriers. See, the wounds of racism indeed run very, very deep. There have been some atrocious acts committed because of racism. But it's only the great physician who can heal such deep wounds that is in the heart. It's the power of of Christ and the model of Christ and his spirit has been given to us that empowers us to overcome deep-seated sin like racism that allows us to love as he loved all men and women good friend of mine who's become kind of a mentor is Mike Foster he's the recently retired president of Word of Life Bible Institute there in the Philippines. Fantastic ministry there in the Philippines, touching the lives of thousands of young people all over that country, sending missionaries all over the world. I have the privilege of teaching uh, at that Bible Institute. I asked him, Mike, I mean, you know, he's six foot tall, white guy from mid-United States. Whatever got you to spend the rest of your life there in the Philippines, in Asia. You know, and he said, well, I fought in the Vietnam War. You know, and he said, I was in the Marines. You know, and I saw some atrocious things. And I said, well, that makes it even worse. What would make you want to go back to Asia? And he said, yeah, well, I saw some great atrocities there. But when I got home, I came to faith in Christ, got serious about God, and started thinking about the war. Not about all the atrocities I saw, but the hundreds of lost people out there. The fact that there were so few churches out there and uh, the people out there were lost and they needed Jesus. As a result, he said, man, I couldn't help it, but I was motivated to come out to Asia to reach those people for Christ. You know, and that's what happens when Christ gets a hold of you. When you come to Christ, you are transformed by His Spirit and His love. And when Jesus is truly Lord, of our lives, we cannot help but love others as Jesus loved, no matter how deep the wounds may have been inflicted upon us. So our application is this. We overcome racism and sin when Jesus truly becomes Lord of our life. And our commitment is to walk in the power of His Holy Spirit and obey Him, even when it means going against our old values and cultural norms. We overcome sin like racism through the power of Christ given to each one of us through His Holy Spirit. We're not going to overcome racism by simply exposing dirty cops or creating economic equality or electing new government officials. Jesus Christ is the one who can transform hearts and minds 
That's what we need. And when Christ takes a hold of a person's life, that individual's heart becomes like the heart of the master, like Jesus Christ. So Christ is the model. And now his body, the church, must be the living model of Jesus Christ. And the early church struggled with racism. It was tough for them as well. We see in Acts chapter 6, verse 1, a complaint arose amongst the Gentiles, the Greeks, right, that the Hellenist widows were being neglected in the daily distribution of food. Right? These are the Greek widows, and that problem needed to be addressed. Now, the apostles and many of the Jewish Christians there were kind of just remaining in the Jewish arena, and God wanted them out into the world to break out of the Jewish culture and reach the entire world for Christ. Remember Acts 1.8, you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. All right, and so God kind of had to push them out of their comfort zone, out of their culture, to reach the rest of the world for Christ. And we see in Acts chapter 10, Peter is there in Joppa meditating, and he's at the house of Simon the Tanner. One of the things that was keeping the Jews from going outside of their culture is that uh, they were still sticking with the traditions and the law of the Old Testament, which had been done away, fulfilled in Jesus Christ. When Jesus said, it is finished, the Old Testament law had been fulfilled. Romans chapter 7, it had been fulfilled. We're under the new covenant, the new law established by Christ. Right. So Peter sees a sheet of all these unclean animals coming down and God tells him, kill and eat. And he said, no, I ain't gonna kill and eat. And God says, no, don't say anything that I made is unclean. You can see that God was doing away with the dietary laws. Why? He's preparing Peter for the encounter that's coming up next. Because at that same moment, a vision was given to Captain Cornelius, not the uh, captain of the planet of the apes. Captain Cornelius was the captain of the Roman guard. And he also receives a vision. And he's told, hey, go to Joppa, get this guy Peter, because he's going to tell you how you can know me. All right. And so at that moment, a Roman guards come and fetch Peter. And Peter goes with them. All right. And he comes to the house of Cornelius. All right. And when he comes there, Acts chapter 10, verse 28. Peter says to Cornelius, you yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or to visit anyone of another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without objection. Right? And Cornelius shares with Peter the vision that he had. He brings his family and everybody he knows in to hear Peter, and Peter begins to share the gospel. And as he is sharing about Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit comes upon them, and they receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, and they are baptized into the body of Christ. Well, Peter goes back to Jerusalem, to the Jerusalem Council, to the leaders of the church, and he gets criticized for what he does. Look at verse 2 and 3. It says, So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcision party, these are Jews who are still you know, trying to live by the law, he criticized him saying, You went to the uncircumcised men and you ate with them. All right? What's the big deal? Well, they're saying, Peter, you hung out with the Gentiles 
and you even ate with them, okay? You ate unkosher food. You were eating Gentile food that has not been prepared in the ceremonial way that we require for them to be kosher and clean. Probably, Peter probably even ate pork, which was a common staple amongst the uh, Romans at that time, all right? And they're like, what in the world were you doing? All right, he uh, catches flack from them. All right, so you can see they're still struggling with this whole issue. And Peter explains, look, I got a vision that the dietary laws are done. All right, we're under the new covenant of Christ now. And Cornelius received a vision. And so I was obedient to God. And I went and as I was preaching, the Holy Spirit came upon these uh, Romans, these Gentiles, and they received the Holy Spirit. We've run out of time. Thank you for joining us here on Evidence and Answers radio broadcast. We hope you enjoyed today's show. If you would like Pat to speak at your church, Bible study, or perhaps hold an apologetics conference, give him a call locally in Hawaii. That number is 483-0586. Or you may contact him through the Evidence and Answers website. That's evidenceandanswers.org. To keep broadcasts like Pat's on the air, we rely on generous support from you, our listeners, for the opportunity to donate head on over to our website. Once again, that's evidenceandanswers.org. And you may do so right there online on the homepage. You'll also find that we have a wide variety of resources available to you. Everything from atheism to Zen Buddhism, including articles and additional audio free to listen to or download. So be sure to share it with those around you. Evidence and Answers is grateful for our key sponsor, Highland Capital Management, providing investors with alternative investment solutions. To learn more, visit them online at hcmlp.com. Join us again next time on the air or online as we provide compelling reasons for faith in Christ. That's Evidence and Answers with Pat Zucaran. Yeah.